This is the John Oakley Show podcast. York Region Police were looking into uh, a farm off Highway 11 in King Township. And whereas they had licensed through Health Canada, allowed to grow 475 outdoor plants and 124 indoor plants all at one time, the cops actually found uh, over 2,300 plants. And uh, they confiscated about 10 pounds of dried ready-for-packaging cannabis. And uh, they say it had a street value of more than $4.7 million. Now, this is what's interesting, because I guess uh, many people feel they've got cover with the legalization of marijuana. Like, who's going to check anymore? But there is still this stealth going on and what's considered to be the black market. I wanted to get Mitchell Osak in here, consulting partner based in Toronto and the leader of MMP, LLP. This is a, a cannabis consulting practice to tell us why it is that the, the, a black market is still flourishing when that was supposed to be alleviated by the legalization almost exactly a month ago. Mitchell, good to have you on the Oakley Show. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure, John. Thank you very much for having me. All right. And so uh, just this bust, this bust is indicative of something that's still amiss or people are flouting the law because uh, I guess they feel who is going to check with legalization now? This stuff is also uh, proliferating everywhere. Uh, How do you see it? Well, um, we shouldn't be surprised. Um, We're not yet quite one year into legalization of flour. And prior to that, we had a flourishing and long-lasting black market. So to have expected it to have gone away once we had legalized cannabis retailing and cultivation, I think was not a realistic proposition. If you factor in the, the reality that we don't have a lot of stores in Ontario, we have legalized cannabis, which is significantly more expensive than what you can get on the black market. And according to uh, many of the pundits, much higher quality cannabis on the black market. There should be no surprise to anybody that the black market continues to flourish. Well, what's interesting here is these individuals who are busted, there were three in total uh, that were found on the premises at that farm up in King. They had a license through Health Canada uh, for a significant number of plants, I guess, 475 outdoor, 124 indoor. But they took liberties with that license. Uh, I don't want to indict anybody else, but uh, is that perhaps something... That we are finding. Look, there was that other issue of uh, where were all these secret rooms behind uh, a wall that were, uh, you know, again, sort of Health Canada had given them a license, but they went above and beyond that and started, uh, I guess, growing a lot of illicit weed. Uh, Do you think that's fairly common? Um, I can't comment because I don't have a, a, you know, full visibility into what goes on in the illegal market. All of our work that we do is with the legal market, but let me just give you a couple of points for perspective. One is that if you look at U.S. legal states like Colorado and California, for example, um, post-legalization, the black market has not decreased. And in fact, in some cases, it's actually gotten bigger because they've been pumping out more volume to serve you know, a greater, you know, number of users in legal states than previously when it was illegal. That's point number one. And point number two is there's, we have to separate enforcement of the law from the actual law. So with a plethora of um, licenses being given out across Canada and limited government resources to enforce what's actually behind those licenses, I'm not surprised you have some people cheating. All right, and so uh, the legal constraints have in some ways uh, actually 
help the black market to proliferate because the price points, for example, are so different in terms of uh, what an ounce would be going for. Uh, I think there's almost a 50% reduction when you're going through a black market right about now, isn't there? That's correct. I mean, it depends on the strain. It could be anywhere from, say, 33 up to 100% price difference. What we've seen Again, in U.S. legal states, and we're starting to see a few data points in Canada, is that as legal prices fall, the black market uh, is very interested in maintaining its market share. So it, it has also dropped its price. And what, what has happened in that case is that it's made its value proposition to consumers, particularly those consumers that are comfortable buying in the black market. It's made their product cheaper. And if, and if we believe that product is better, which many people do, you can see how there's all kinds of incentives for many heavy users to continue going back to their buddy, the dealer, um, at the end of the street and not to go through legal channels. Yeah, well, When you say the product is better, uh, in some ways it's been pointed out uh, it's fresher. I mean, the immediate uh, delivery is uh, such that, you I mean, you can cut through a lot of the middle levels, I guess, through the legalization process, No. Yes, that's correct. Now, in some cases, the product is actually dangerous for you. Uh And that is where you have cannabis that is full of fentanyl and pesticides and so on and so forth. And and by no means would I ever encourage anybody to go to the black market to buy their cannabis. Having said that, if you have a friend who's been dealing to you for a long time and allows you to smell the different strains of bud and shows up within an hour with a knapsack and will help spark up a duper so you can try something, you could see how that's a very compelling customer experience. Yeah, well, what they've done is created, I guess, uh, a buyer's market by legalization, but not being able to supply uh, the demand. And uh, is that really the, uh, look, we've got illegal cannabis dispensaries that were supposed to be shut down, and yet they still seem to proliferate. Uh, why is that? Why is there no enforcement or is there sort of turning a willful blind eye to all of this just so demand would be met? How do we see it? Well, that's a good question. And I, and I wish I had a concrete, uh, definitive answer. I, um, one of the priorities of Bill C-45, the Cannabis Act, was to eliminate the illicit black market. That is still a primary objective of the government. And I would tell you that every law enforcement agency and every level of government still adheres to that, and that that is a priority. The challenge becomes on the enforcement side. So do we have enough resources at all levels of government to go after some of these illicit operators? When we look at what happened in York Region, you can look at that situation in two ways. One is that there's a lot of illicit activity. On the other hand, you can look at it and say, you know, the government and particularly the police force, are starting to find these operations and clamping down on them. So, again, it's about your expectations. If anyone who thought the black market would go away immediately or go away within a few years, I think would be somewhat mistaken. Over the long term, what we've seen is that cannabis users will migrate to legal products and legal, legal channels over time when quality improves, when access increases, and when prices drop. So, Mitchell, when would we be up to speed, say, in the province of Ontario? Because uh, we've had another tranche of uh, licenses here, and uh, I guess three people were disqualified. But still in all, we were led to believe uh, the ideal put forth by the Ford government was anybody who would qualify for uh, a storefront, you know, and meet certain requirements would be allowed to operate. It hasn't worked that way. Are we ever going to get to that point? I'm hopeful we are. 
Um, there has definitely been hiccups in how, before the Ford government, with how the, the Wynn government was going to run the you know, cannabis legalization as well as the Ford government. The reality is, is that if you look at Alberta, which is, which is the provincial model most similar to where we are in Ontario, they have close to 300 stores within one year. If you look at where we are in Ontario, we're woefully behind that. But if you, if you think that uh, Alberta can add to 300 stores in one year, with the proper you know, policy in Ontario, there's no reason to believe that we can't. We have a potential demand of stores in Ontario of at least 1,500 cannabis stores. Mm-hmm. So the, the fact of the matter is we have nowhere to go but up. And with the right policy changes, I think we will get in, we are going to get there. It's just a question of time. All right. And uh, should we then see uh, more licenses for producers uh, or would that be, uh, you know, in the supply chain? Is there an adequate number right now? I mean, if everybody's producing, then the demand could certainly be met. But I don't know if the uh, Health Canada folk would be happy about that. Well, again, great question. What we have right now is approximately 165 licensed producers currently. The vast majority of those don't really produce very much. We have uh, approximately five micro-cultivation licenses that have been given out across Canada. So we run a greater risk today of oversupply once all those licensed producers kick in with production than undersupply, which is the issue we've had up until now. So I think if I'm Health Canada, now I'm more worried about am I creating an artificial bubble with too many licenses given out and could the companies that have, that have them and invested millions of dollars, do they have the cost structure, the low-cost structure, to be able to weather a significant decline in, in price, which, again, is what we've seen in every U.S. market that's legalized. So how will we know when we've uh, achieved or arrived at the sweet spot? Um, you'd have to ask Adam Smith about that, because yeah. that's, the inv- that's the invisible hand operating. Right. I think we have a far way to go. Mm. Um, as far as uh, satisfying the supply situation, particularly since edibles are about to become legal mm. in a couple of weeks. Ed- the edibles market, whether it's beverages or oils or food, will take up a heck of a lot of the inventory that's already in place and a lot of the supply. Once we, we, once we reach a steady state where we actually know what edibles demand will be and we have a lot more data on what flour demand is, then we'll be in a situation where we'll be able to, you know, equalize supply and demand. I don't foresee us getting to that point for at least a year Mm. because of all the new product introductions, because of falling prices, and because a lot of other factors, including the number of new volume, new licensed producers that are coming on the market. All right. Well stated. Uh, just following this file, have we, as we have been since the inception of legalization, wanted to know how it's all playing out. So a year and still a lot of hiccups in the system. Mitchell, I appreciate your uh, enlightening us all. Thank you. Thank you, John. You got it. Mitchell Osak, again, consulting partner based in Toronto. He's a leader of MNP LLP, uh, Cannabis Consulting Practice. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.